Welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, the best Phillies podcast around. I'm your host, Anthony Sanfilippo, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter. Joined, as always, by Crossing Broad's Phillies writer, Bob Wankel, at BW Crossing Broad. And I can tell you right now that Bob and I, uh, we went back and forth over the weekend as to actually when we should record um, this week. We actually thought maybe we would bump it up. Uh, a day because we come, we come, we would be coming off a nationally televised game between the Phillies and the Nationals, and and you know prep the big Yankee series coming up, and and then the Nationals coming into Philly over the weekend. There was a chance the Phillies could have swept the Nationals. We had a lot of excitement about the Phillies going into yesterday's game. We are recording Monday night, going into the Sunday game, the Sunday night game, and then all of a sudden they blow a six-two lead, lose yesterday. They're overmatched against the Yankees tonight, lose 4-2, to two, and now all of a sudden we went from great spirits and holy cow, this Phillies team's in great shape and they're a good team to uh, it's disaster again, Bob. <laughs> I had multiple friends text me this week and say, you know, I think this is finally going to be the podcast where you guys come out and you piss positive. You're going to have to be optimistic after what this team's done this week. And I said, yeah, you know what? It's been a really good week. Two out of three against the Cardinals. I knew that they lost a game that they should have won in that series. And then obviously you go to Washington and you win two out of three in that series. But you let things get away from you on Sunday night baseball. And then tonight happens. And now here we are. And it's a little bit after 11 p.m. Phillies lose 4-2 tonight uh, to the New York Yankees in front of a uh, almost sold-out crowd, which from all reports was 60%. Yankees fans, which we can get to in a little bit, but um, here we are. Phillies are forty-one and thirty-five, and uh, I'm not feeling as positive as I as I was forty-eight hours ago. I, I must say, uh, in light of what's transpired over the last twenty-seven hours uh, with the Phillies, this game tonight, uh, and I think we should probably just start with the present, start with the most immediate thing. This game tonight was a, a little bit of a wake-up call. I think that the thing watching the Phillies right now. You see these flashes, and you see where they're making progress. And the fact that they're six games over 500 right now, the fact that if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs, that's great. Um, And I've been impressed what they've done against stiff competition here uh, over the last three, four weeks. I think that they've really held their own. And if you take the long view and you can remove yourself from the fact that things haven't gone their way the last two nights, you take a deep breath and you say, they're in decent shape. There are a lot of things to feel pretty good about at this point. But when you watch this team game in, game out, and you just see these missed opportunities slip through their hands, it's hard not to be frustrated. And you watch a game like tonight where you get decent starting pitching, Vince Velasquez, six innings, three hits, two earned runs. He didn't get too deep into the game. He struggled to have command with his fastball uh, early on in the game. He he had a hard time locating on the inner half of the plate, and that led to some troubles uh, in the second inning. They got decent starting pitching, and, and then you just you watch this thing play out and you go, they're not there. There's a reason that the Yankees are 26 games over 500 right now, and there's a reason that the Phillies are kind of still feeling their way through things. Uh, you see two very different teams that are on two totally different levels when you watch tonight's game. With that said, they could have had a 6-0 week if they had a bullpen. So it's, it's really hard when you watch this team to make sense of exactly what they are, and there's a lot that you have to kind of sift through in order to figure out what's important important, what we should let go, and, and what it all means moving forward. Yeah, you know, you, you watch the game tonight, and they just they didn't hit tonight. 
right? Obviously. They, they what two hits, three hits, whatever they had. Yeah, they had three um hits. Yep. three hits. Yeah. Um so they didn't hit tonight. I think they were one for eight with runners in scoring position. Um and, and so this was this was what the Phillies had been doing for the better part of the season until the hot streak started. You know, Hoskins comes off the DL, starts hitting really well. Herrera gets out of his slump and starts hitting incredibly well. Hit homers in five straight games um, and, and really starts stabilizing the top of the order. Nick Williams kind of locks himself into the starting job in right field. Um, and so one through five in the lineup had, you know, was, was starting to get really consistent, uh, getting on base, getting timely hits, driving in the runs. And that's what you need for your lineup to go well. And the Phillies were really starting to do that. They were really starting to put the offense together, kind of like we thought they were going to at the beginning of the year. I mean, if you were, if you remember back at the beginning of the season, and not just us, Bob, but, you know, national experts and everybody was talking, saying the Phillies are going to have one of the better lineups in baseball. And it, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, over the first seven, eight, nine weeks of the season, um, and and then we what we saw maybe the last ten, twelve games, we're starting to see that you know what this offense could be, which is good, and that 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 was a good sign. Tonight they kind of regressed back just for one game. I mean, obviously, um, but they kind of regressed back to what they were doing before, taking too many strikes right down the middle, uh, putting themselves in bad counts. Um, and then flailing away at, at bad pitches, I, you know, I, I can point out to the Mike Calfranco at bat. Not that he's the the you know bellwether player to kind of to kind of compare anybody to, but um, he looked at two strikes right down the middle and then swung at a pitch six feet outside uh, to strike out at the end of the at bat. Um, they were bad at bats uh, when they had runners on base. Um, Reese Hoskins kind of lost his cool a little bit. We're going to talk about that a little, you know, as we as we move forward in the podcast. But they really kind of went back backwards for one night. Now you hope it's just one night and they figure it out and get back to doing what they were doing tomorrow. But the Yankees are throwing Severino tomorrow, and and the, and the guy's you know one of the best pitchers in baseball. And if he starts frustrating your lineup, but and now all of a sudden you go, uh oh, this is two nights in a row. Maybe they lose three in a row. Now does this start to snow snowball again? So that's my concern. I just hope that it's just a this is just a blip for the lineup tonight. So what I want to do is I want to focus on this game specifically, and then we'll talk about where this team stands in the or sits in the big picture. Um, so let's let's get into to what we saw tonight. Dating back to last Sunday against the Brewers, uh, and they had a 10-9 win uh, on the Sunday game of uh, the Milwaukee series at Milwaukee. This offense uh, over the past, really the, the past seven eight days, has been good. And and so yeah. I don't want to I don't want to get too overly negative about what they did tonight. Uh, they only had three hits, two singles, and then the uh, home run in the ninth inning. Uh, Mike Alfranco off of Aroldis Chapman, first home run that he allowed this season. Um, the, the offense was very limited this evening against a guy that was making his third career major league start in Jonathan Luizaga. Uh, and Luizaga had pitched uh, five and a third innings. I believe he had eight strikeouts, and he only allowed one hit. And he dominated this Phillies lineup tonight. I'm not really ready to say I'm concerned about this. Uh, I was, I'm disappointed in what they did this evening. I, I think that you have a big series here. You had uh, almost a packed house. I would have liked to have seen the offense come out and perform better than they did this evening. It just wasn't in the cards. So I don't want to make any 
sweeping conclusions. I don't really have any hot takes for you about the offense tonight. I think that they've gotten better production from the first five hitters in this order. Like you said, uh, Dubal Herrera, after uh, a horrendous three-week stretch, has really been good since the middle of June. Uh, since June 15th, he came into tonight hitting 17 uh, of his last 40, two doubles, a triple, six home runs, 11 RBIs. And he was uh, 0 for 3 tonight, but he's still hitting 302 on the season with an 857 OPS. Odubel Herrera, I feel really good about moving forward. Reese Hoskins, uh, I still feel very good about moving forward. Cesar Hernandez, too many strikeouts for my liking. 0 for 4 tonight, hitting 267 with a 757 OPS now. Uh, still, I like Cesar Hernandez as an offensive player. Carlos Santana's been one of the best guys in all of baseball since May 1st. He entered tonight with a 935 OPS, 25th best in all of baseball since May 1st and a 395 on base percentage since that time, which is the 18th best in all of baseball. You get some stability from right field. Nick Williams has been better, excluding tonight. And you look at those five guys together, and you have to feel at least somewhat optimistic about the direction that those guys are trending in. I don't know what you're getting at third base. I don't know what you're getting out of Scott Kingery moving forward. And Jorge Alfaro, he seems to have good games and bad games and and. I'm okay with that. I'm okay what you're getting offensively out of the catching position at this point. So offensively, you mean you mean, you mean he's been chooch? Yeah, he's yeah. That's kind of exactly what he's been. You know, I I, I would like to to see a little bit more consistency, uh, but he's been fine, I guess. So you look at this offense though, and and this is a conversation I I want to have with you. I I know it didn't go well tonight, but. Do you feel a little bit better about what you've seen over the last eight days? Numbers aside, I know I just rattled off a ton of statistics there, but do you feel like, hey, you know what, this offense does look a little bit more capable than, than what it did the, the previous month leading into this past week when they've heated up? I mean, do, do you think that this Phillies offense is more what we saw at the struggle that we saw in May and the beginning of June, or do you think it's more what we saw this past week? Oh, I, I think it's probably, honestly, somewhere between both. Um, That's a cop-out. Well, it is, but here's what I'm going to say. Well, you asked, you kind of asked me two questions there. So that was my first answer. But my, but the original question that you asked is, how do I feel about about them? And and I think that I kind of like, I'm breathing a little bit easier now because I was starting to doubt myself because I was one of those people, Bob, who believed at the beginning of the season that this lineup was good enough to to put up you know a, a bunch of runs um, and not just you know, the home run or strikeout variety. I mean, I kind of felt like there was more to this offense, that these guys would be productive and, and get hits. And, and you remember, um, we talked about this. When we looked at this this lineup one through eight, we kind of looked at each individual player and said, this guy is more than capable of, of doing this. He can do that. And if all these parts come together, this is going to be a really good offense. And I don't think that we were being homers in doing that. No, I, I really think that we said if these guys can just play to what's reasonably expected of them, this has a chance to be a very good offense. Now that hasn't yeah. materialized to this point, right? Well, so, but, but I will say I'm feeling better about that, and you know, to to see it happen, and it wasn't just like one or two games that they were able to put together almost two weeks worth of really good offense and really good approaches to the plate. I, I think what had happened, um, to be honest, I think that they had gotten into such a Funk, uh, because they were so concerned with um, controlling the strike zone, right? Taking a lot of pitches that teams were then looking at and saying, "Well, the, F- the Phillies aren't going to swing, so we're just going to throw st- strike one over the plate." 
And then the Phillies would find themselves getting into a one o two holes, and then they got to try and dig their way out of it, and it's next to impossible to do. That what they've done in the last two weeks that I kind of like a little bit more is they've been more aggressive um, earlier in the count. Not to say that you should always be swinging first pitch, but you, you definitely have to mix it up. And I think that they've done a nice job of that. And I think that that's now kind of put them in a position where they can be they can be more selective with the balls that they're going to swing at. With the no, with the knowledge, the other team having the knowledge that guess what they they will swing first pitch fastball if that's what you're trying to do. So uh, I do like that approach, and I think that's been a, a nice change for the Phillies. And I credit John Malley with that. I, I think that there have been some nice adjustments there. Um, especially, it was kind of interesting if you listen to the broadcast um, uh, yesterday, the national broadcast. Um, Wasn't that A-Rod a nice was, change of pace? It was, and A-Rod was talking about it, saying, you know, you're talking about them, you know, these are the things that they are working on. He was talking to John Malley and about being a little bit more aggressive, and I think that that's a, that's a big thing. That's kind of, a, you know, an important recognition um, by, the, by the Phillies uh, coaching staff to fix that, and so that's good. Um, I, I'm not worried about tonight, but I don't want to see it snowball. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to see – the bad habits come back, and because there were some that, that were there tonight for one game, and that's okay. It can, it happens over the course of a 162 game season. I just don't want to see it start to return, you know. And then you go into the Washington series, and then it, all of a sudden it's happening again. By the way, that Washington team they they got blown out again tonight. I, I'm starting to wonder about them a Tough little bit. Tough spot for them tonight, though. You're coming off a, a 12:45 game that ended last night, and then you get on a plane and you go down to Tampa Bay, and they've been playing pretty well lately. I would attribute that a little bit to just the the travel and the logistics of that game. But they they, they look got very ordinary, don't they, all they of a do. sudden? I mean, that offense is really struggling, with the exception of the sixth through ninth innings of last night's game. They, <laughs> they really uh, – or the sixth through eighth innings, really. Um, they have been very ordinary, that offense. And uh, we can talk a little bit about that later in the show. Um, Tomorrow night, though, the Phillies offense, they have their work cut out for them uh, against Luis Severino. Uh, he's, he's arguably one of the, I would say, five or six best starting pitchers in all of baseball this season. Yep. And he goes up against Jake Arrieta, who has, has struggled uh, in the month of June. Uh, he's 0-3 uh, with a 6.97 ERA. He's allowed 16 earned runs in 20 and two-thirds innings, 23 hits, five home runs and only 14 strikeouts. So it's been a little bit of a rough go for Jake Arrieta uh, the last uh, four times out. And uh, he needs to have a, a game tomorrow night. He needs to, yeah. to be the guy that the Phillies signed when they went out and got him and they, they signed him to this contract. This is the type of game where you need to have him come out and, and go pitch for pitch with, with one of the most dominant starting pitchers in all of baseball in Severino. And uh, if, if they don't get that from him tomorrow night, they're really going to have their work cut out for them. Well, yeah, for multiple reasons, and and one of them is is that if if Arietta can't give you a, a good start, a quality start, and give you some length, you, you know, once again got to turn to that bullpen, which has not done its job. I can't tell you the last time we sat here and said, "Oh yeah, good job by the bullpen." It's been so long. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it's very important that Arietta gives them a great start tomorrow. Because um, you, you don't want to get into a, a homer war with the Yankees, they'll win it. Um, and y- you know, so that, but that's assuming that you can hit Severino, and you also don't want it to be a situation where you're not hitting, and so therefore Arietta's got to pitch as you know, pr- almost a 
as perfectly as he can um, with only a little bit of wiggle room, and you know, all of a sudden you give up two, three runs, and you're in trouble. Um, so yeah, tomorrow's game is kind of a, an interesting spot for the Phillies because it, it, it could it could all of a sudden you can you can get back into the winning on the winning side and say okay, little blips with the game in Washington and the game against the Yankees on Monday. Um, no worries, come out and get a win against a good team and move forward to the rest of the week. Or you come out and you lose the game tomorrow, and now all of a sudden you've lost three in a row, and now this is, oh, this is the doom and gloom we've been worrying about all along, that they can't compete with the best teams in, in the league, and this schedule is brutal, and, geez, the Phillies are you know creeping closer to 500 in the wrong way. Um, I so, think, yeah, I think so it's, it's a big game. important that they, yeah. they get one of these games. Yeah, you know, it's a big when game. When you consider that they've won four straight series entering this this Yankee series, I don't need them to win the series. Obviously, that would be the ideal outcome here, but you, you just have to get a game and yeah, survive. Yeah, you can't get swept. You have to survive this series and then yeah, you they can't take get swept. that into the, the Washington series this weekend. Um, we've I think we've actually been generally positive thus far, to be honest with you. Uh, what are we, about uh, – we're 18 minutes into this thing, and we haven't really been negative. And so I want to kind of keep the good vibes going with this. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about Vince Velasquez, who I thought was was pretty sharp tonight, uh, it, later as the game progressed. He really struggled early in the game. We talked about it. He had a, a tough time spotting his fastball early on, and it looked like he might be out of the game after four innings. He did settle in. He gave the Phillies six quality innings tonight, uh, yet another quality start. And it kind of speaks to what the starting pitching has done this season. And you and I had a conversation prior to the show uh, earlier this afternoon, and you kind of said, well, what type of depth are the, uh, the Phillies starting pitchers giving this team? And, and I started to kind of dig around a little bit, and I just want to rattle this off uh, real quick and, and talk about really what it means and let this stand in contrast to what the bullpen has done because I think it's a different way to look at this bullpen struggles. So – Philly starting pitchers entering today uh, have thrown 90.9 pitches per start, which was fifth in the National League. Velasquez threw 96 tonight. Uh, they averaged five and uh, two-thirds, almost five and two-thirds innings per start, which is fifth in the National League. Velasquez went six tonight. Quality starts in 48% of games, which is second in the National League, and a 1.22 whip, which was third in the NL, and a 3.46 FIP, which was also second in the National League. And what that tells me is, though we are not looking at Major League Baseball of 1992 necessarily, when you look at league averages, this Phillies rotation has been good both in terms of production and they've been above league average in length. And so this starting rotation has done their job for the most part. And you could make an argument, if you look at certain metrics, that Jake Arrieta, in light of what he's done over his last four times through the rotation, has actually been one of the least effective starters that the Phillies have had. I mean, Aaron Nola is obviously the, the class of this rotation. Nick Pavetta, by several metrics, has almost been right on his heels, uh, believe it or not. Zach Eflin's been outstanding last three or four turns through. Um, and Vince Velasquez, though, he's not necessarily our cup of tea, as we've stated several times. He had one blow-up start against the Brewers two weeks ago. But other than that, the last nine times out, he's been really He's been really good. He's given this team a chance to win most nights. Um, so you have to feel good about what this rotation has given this team, no? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's. It, I think we made an argument before you dug up these, these great stats uh, a few uh, episodes ago 
where we've kind of said, and this was before the team was hitting, um, we kind of said the, the reason the Phillies are where they are is one one reason and one reason alone. It's the starting pitching. And that has continued. Um, they've all had their, you know, their clunkers. I mean, Nola had a clunker last week against St. Louis. Um, you know, you mentioned Velasquez's clunker against Milwaukee. Pavetta had a couple of starts in there in a row that weren't great, uh, kind of bounced back. I, I actually liked his start yesterday against Washington, Sunday against Washington. If you you take uh, take away the, the one inning where it was raining really hard and he couldn't grip the baseball – and was complaining to the umpires that he couldn't grip the baseball. That's when the, that's when the Nationals scored their two runs against him. Uh, other than that, Washington couldn't touch him. He was really good. He was he was good before the rain, and he was good after a rain delay, a forty minute rain delay. Came back out and he was strong again. Um, so I really like where Pavetta's been. You mentioned Eflin. Boy, Eflin looks like a completely different pitcher ever since the the knee surgeries, right? I mean, it's just the way he's throwing everything. He's he's showing he's got some stuff. Um, that's turning out to be a, a nice acquisition by the Phillies, Zach Eflin. Um, and you're right, Ariad has been the weakest of the five. Um, and he's given them good starts too, just not lately. Um, so yeah, the starting pitching has been – deserves better. I mean, let's just put it – let's put it bluntly. I mean, if you really look at it, these guys deserve better. They've done – they've kept the Phillies in almost every game this season. I mean, how many games have the Phillies really not been in? Of the 76 games or whatever that they've played no, so far. No, and I actually wrote today that I, I was ready for a more traditional, like, listless 6-1 loss because I feel like every game this team loses is excruciating because they're right there. They're a pitch away. They're a play away. They're a swing away. Every loss is, like, just absolutely – it's a gut punch. There's never there, – they're really – there really hasn't been too many games this year where you just say, well, they were outclassed tonight. I mean, they did have a couple against Milwaukee there where they kind of got beat down. But but other than that, you're, you're hard-pressed to find games where the Phillies are just overwhelmed. And Yeah, I mean, there were, and there I was a couple blowouts. Encouraging. Yeah, there were a couple blowouts early in the year when they had, you know, they had to have position players pitch, right? Um, and then the, the three games against Milwaukee where they looked terrible and maybe one or two others. But that's about it. I would, so, I, like I'm saying, they, I mean, they've well, they've lost 36 games. I, I I'd venture to argue that 28, 29 of those 36 losses, the Phillies were right in there and had a chance to win them. It's crazy to say, but it's it's the truth. I mean, they've been in that many games this year. And you know what's interesting too? I, I think that what you saw from Pavetta last night. Uh, on Sunday Night Baseball at Washington. And what you saw from Vince Velasquez, I think there's something to be said for this. We can talk about numbers all we want and how they stack up and, and what it means. But if you just look at both of these pitchers from a maturation standpoint, I'm I'm really impressed with Nick Pavetta because my, my main criticism of Nick Pavetta, and we've talked about this before, is that when he got into trouble last year, the wheels completely fell off the bus almost every single time. He was either dominant or when he got into trouble, he could not escape it. And I know last night, I guess it was the fourth inning, uh, he gave up two runs, and when the game went into a rain delay, he also had two men on and nobody out. And the game goes into a 38-minute rain delay, and he comes back out and he strikes out the side and just shuts down the inning. And then he comes back, loads the bases in the fifth, and then he strikes out Michael Taylor and blows him away on a high fastball. And you go, that's not what he was last year. Last year, he would have imploded. This would have been four or five runs. You kind of see the balls on the guy all of a sudden. You see this growth. You see the confidence. And that's what excites me most. I know he has a great curveball. I know he has a power fastball. And you look at the stuff and you go, 
this definitely plays at the major league level. He has a chance to be a top-of-the-rotation starter. But you see him work into these tight spots and get himself out of it. That's the thing that excites me the most. And to that end, when you look at Vince Velasquez, who we've been extremely critical of on this podcast, even tonight, the Yankees are, I I would argue, probably the most dangerous lineup in all of baseball. And Vince Velasquez had thrown 36 pitches with nobody out in the second inning tonight. If I would have told you that prior to the game, I said, guess his final line. What would you have said? Yeah, not not what it was. Yeah, that's certainly for sure. not six innings, two earned runs, eight strikeouts. You know, you would have said, oh, he's probably going to get knocked out of the game in the third or fourth inning, and that's what I thought we were going to see tonight. I really did. I was like, he's not able to spot his fastball. He's not long for this one. And he hung in there, and he really gave this team a chance to win tonight. And I'm impressed by that. I really am. It's It, it goes beyond the numbers. When you look at the context of the game and watch how it plays out, you see these guys bearing down in big spots and getting critical outs, and that excites me. It really does, especially as we move into the second half of this season. This schedule lightens up. I trust these guys. I actually feel good about what they're doing as they go out to the mound right now. And there's something to be said for that. I really do see some growth, and I am excited about the direction of this starting staff. And it, it really does. It just it goes beyond the numbers. It goes beyond the strikeouts, the ERAs, the FIPs, the quality starts. You just look at these guys and say, you know, these guys are ass kickers right now. And I, and there's something to be said for that. Yeah, they, they are. And, and to be honest, I mean, when you really look at it, there's, there's even some, dare I say, some depth with this, with this organization. Yeah, because, with oh, by the pitching. way, you have Jared Eikhoff. Yeah, who's working his way back, and what are you going to do with him at this point? I don't know how you bump one of these guys, and I can't I, believe I'm saying that, but I, I just no, you're right. You pull the plug on any one of these guys right now. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, the only one I can, can see is if Arietta continues to to struggle. But I mean, how do you pull a veteran? God, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, like like Arietta out of the rotation. No, I mean, so that, you know that's good that you got Eikhoff coming. I mean, you know, Sanchez has pitched really well down in the minors. I mean, there's there's a lot to like with where the Phillies' starting pitching is. So, you know, we're critical at times of Matt Klintak <clears throat> as the general manager, but the one thing you got to give him credit for is they have stockpiled a good amount of quality starting pitching, and that's gonna that's gonna serve them well long term, not just this season. So that that's a good thing. You know what? But, can I just can I kind of disagree with you a little bit? Go ahead. How does Matt Klintak figure into that? I mean, Jake Ari- he signed Jake Arrieta, who I was, I, I, you know, like if, we, if we're being honest, I'm, I'm high on Jake Arrieta. I, I think that this is a little bit of a bump in the road. I know that the strikeouts aren't there, and I, I do have confidence in him moving forward. I think that this is still a good signing, but most of this is Ruben Amaro. When you- well, no, I understand. But, I mean, in, in a lot of these trades, though, um, yeah, you're, you're right. A lot The guys who you're seeing perform now are Amaro's guys. Um, but let's keep in mind that Andy McPhail was in place also um, when this happened, and McPhail and Klentak are, are, are like-minded individuals. And so the, the concept is is that this is so this is a McPhail plan. Maybe it's not a Klentak plan, but more, more McPhail plan um, that is coming to fruition and and really working here. So and, and so that in that sense, I, I guess I have a little bit of confidence in in the uh, executives of this team. You know that they know how to mine for start young starting pitching, and because when you look at it, I mean, look at where some of these guys came from. I mean, they were, you know, Pavetta was a guy that you got for Papelbon, you know, and Eflin was a guy you got for Jimmy Rollins, you know, at the end of his career. 
Um, you know, I, yeah, Eikhoff was in was in the uh, Hamels trade, fine, but it was not the main piece of it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, I mean, you got you got guys who, <clears throat> who are coming. So, you know, credit to the scouts who see them and and the organizational approach. You know, to, to find these players. Um, yeah, I, and that's where I give them credit. Um, but I will criticize them to no end when it comes to constructing their current roster and not having veteran players to fill in at catcher and in the infield and when there's not enough players on the 40-man roster that Mitch Walding has to be on this roster at, at times to, to be your extra infielder. I mean, literally, they were one more injured infielder away from not having somebody to, to call up. Mitch I mean, that's Wal- how Mitch Walding. that's how Poor bad Mitch it was. Walding, man. <laughs> no, and it's, not, it's not a knock on Mitch Walding. Seven strikeouts, and then he hits into a double play last night. And you just go, yeah, oh, it's not man. a knock on. It's no, not a knock on not Mitch a, Walding. It's, not. It, it's just it's that the Mitch Walding should never be in a major league game for a team that is playing meaningful baseball. Uh, n- no offense to Mitch, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just what it is. Now we've been. I would say we've been pretty positive here through a half hour. I'm, I'm making concerted effort to do that, and I think so are you. Uh, let's kick this over to the, the, the flip side of things. So for as good as Go starting ahead. pitching's been, we all know, and, and this has almost been beaten to death, that the bullpen just it hasn't gotten the job done. It really hasn't gotten the job done all year, and it has been – especially bad lately. Uh, and there are a couple different ways to look at this. And one thing that we always try to do is abstain from having the same conversation back-to-back weeks. And I don't want to have the same conversation that we've had, but I think that there is a new way to kind of frame this thing. And so what I would tell you is this. Coming into tonight's game in which the bullpen threw, what, three innings and they allowed another two earned runs, so their ERA jumped. Uh, they entered the uh, game with a 4.22 ERA, which was the ninth worst mark in all of baseball. Uh, and over the last 30 days, it's been uh, particularly bad. 5.70 ERA, fourth worst mark in all of Major League Baseball. Um, uh, Edibre Ramos, uh, he's now on the disabled list. We learned that uh, this afternoon. Uh, He had not given up a run over 15 appearances leading up to uh, Sunday night's loss in Washington uh, when he got tagged for two runs in the sixth inning. Uh, Hector Naris comes back up and replaces him. He threw a clean inning tonight uh, for the Phillies. Um, I I know that Sir Anthony Dominguez is the savior uh, of this of this bullpen and everyone looks to him to be the stopper and that it's, it's automatic once he enters the game. Uh, but he is, he's really kind of actually struggled in the month of June by most traditional metrics. Uh, if you, you look at him, he's, he's been, he's been bad. He's given up six earned runs in 10 innings of work in June. Uh, and I believe that puts him at a five, four ERA uh, opponents are hitting 270 off of him in June. Uh, and his whip increased from 0.15 in May to 1.50 in June, which is 10 times worse than it was a month ago. I know we're talking about small sample sizes and obviously a regression to league norms, but, uh, he has been shaky at best over the last two weeks as well. So you look at this bullpen, and I know that, that you've been critical of Gabe Kapler uh, throughout the course of this season at times, and, and I've picked my spots with him as well. I, I guess I want to just kind of get your pulse on this and, and kind of know, want to know what you think about. Is this on Kapler and how, how these guys are being utilized? Or at the end of the day, is it just impossible to consistently navigate high-leverage situations with a an inconsistent and and really maybe a not so talented group of relievers so on the whole it's the latter 
on the whole there yeah i mean it's 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 hard and you can't always blame the manager it's hard to you know deploy uh, a group of relievers who just aren't that good um, and expect success. Um, are there instances, specific, you know, ter- times and games where you sit there and scratch your head and say, "Why the hell did the manager go to this guy here?" Um, I mean, you know, we we we've heard, you know, from Kapler about how the the most high leverage situation isn't always the ninth inning. Sometimes it's the seventh and the eighth, and that's when we want Dominguez in there against those guys, and then. He trots him out in the ninth inning of a of a game the other night um, against the seven eight nine hitter or six seven eight hitters in the lineup in the ninth inning when the more high leverage spot would have been earlier in the in the thing. So so there's inconsistency with the ideology um, of, of what they're doing, and so that's that's where you can question the manager and say what the hell are you doing? But on the whole, I think that it is a it's more of the fact that they just don't have talent there. I mean, do you? Excuse me. Do you trust Adam Morgan at all at this point? He did it again tonight. Got him in trouble, and and I know there wasn't you know hard hit balls. One was an infield hit. Yeah, it was up an infield single to Brett Gardner up the middle. Right. Uh, which but then he, then he did a nice job to even cut that ball off. I mean, that ball was actually right. hit a little bit harder than you'd think. And then he goes what four pitch walk to to Judge right. Right. Four pitch walk to it wasn't even close. Yeah, it was not. I mean, all four pitches were way out of the strike zone. Um, and then he gives up uh, uh, another hit uh, on a bunt to D.D. Gregorius. Oh, my, how about that? Bunting with first and second and nobody out. Bunting Go is figure. bad. It's bad baseball. <laughs> Go figure. Um, leads to a beginning. Um, anyway, um, so, I mean, it's not like he was lit up, but you got to try and get somebody out. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? You can't I'm, come I'm, in and I... face three batters and, and let them all get on base. I have to do this. I just I have to do it. He is terrible. He is so <laughs> bad. A career 5-plus ERA. His ERA is over 5.5 this season. And, and I don't. I know that citing ERA is lame. I know that that's, that's old school and that there's much better ways to do this by every almost every single metric. Other than that, well, he throws the ball hard and he has a good slider. I mean, you look at the stuff, and the stuff should play better than it does. But he is simply... He's just not a productive pitcher, and I know that he had the save last week in the in the day game against against St. Louis, and and to me that was like an act of God. Just by it's like when you go to a roulette table and it's it's it falls on red eleven times in a row. Eventually, eventually it has to break the other way just by pure by pure happenstance, and I feel like that's what Adam Morgan closing out that game in the ninth inning against the Cardinals last week was. He is not. An effective major league pitcher is he a guy that can do mop up duty? I, I guess so. I'm yeah because the stuff is all right and he throws the ball from the left hand side. But he he is just he's ineffective. You cannot be a playoff contending team and trot Adam Morgan onto the field in meaningful situations night in night out. It just cannot happen. And and. When you look at the bullpen and what they did on Sunday night, they blow a 6-2 lead. They needed to record 12 outs to get out of Washington with a sweep. And Ramos can't get the job done. They bring in, what, Austin Davis, who was in Lehigh Valley nine days ago to try to get out Bryce Harper? Well, so uh, can I stop you right there just for a second? Let me just stop you for one second there. Because this is one of those instances where I will sit there and say, and it's not no one's talking about it because that wasn't, you know, 
um, a critical moment, so to speak. I mean, it wasn't the, the moment that de- de- you know determined the game. But I'll tell you, that's one of the times where I do question the manager. Why you think that Austin Davis, who's a minor league pitcher, come is a better matchup against Bryce Harper than say Ramos would have been. I mean, although I guess we didn't know Ramos was hurt. Had a shoulder but, impingement. Is that the yeah? The okay. Injury? Yeah. Well, and this is why I don't take Pavetta out with eighty-seven pitches um, after only five innings. I maybe give him and give him one more inning. You still got you know thirteen pitches before you hit that magic number of one hundred. He could probably get most of the way through the sixth inning. Does the fact and that so, they had a thirty-eight minute rain delay in that game affect that decision at no, all? No, because he came because he came back out and he pitched well. That's the thing. Like if he came back out and, and wasn't good, then I'd say okay, fine. But the fact is, is that you know, yeah, all right, there was a thirty-eight minute. I didn't think he was going to. Come out after the rain delay. I was stunned that he so, came back so out after a 40 I. I mean, my rain thing delay. was, though, that he, he did load the bases in that inning. He kind of lost command a little bit. And it, to me, it was like when he struck out Taylor, it was like, okay, that's what I had for you tonight. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I agree because this bullpen is so terrible. But at the same time, I go, I don't know that it would have been smart to run Pavetta back out there in the well, sixth. I think in an well, ideal the- world, if you had a competent bullpen – then we're not having this conversation for Pavetta, you know, then we're not having this. We're not having this conversation if you have a competent bullpen. But when you don't have a competent bullpen, which they do not have, and your starting pitching as has been as good as it's been. Why is why is it worse to go the third time through the lineup with the starting pitcher? Than it is to to ask a terrible bullpen to get twelve outs. Like I don't get that. Yeah, that, like, to, that's where that's where the disconnect is for me. You and I talked about this before the show. I mean, it's not like it's just one guy every night. You know how like sometimes it's just bad luck. You get two guys out of the pen, they have a clean sixth and seventh, and then the guy in the eighth implodes. Or the guys in the seventh and eighth, they get you to the ninth, and then the closer implodes. And it's just one thing after another. I mean, the Phillies trotted out six different relief pitchers on Sunday night, and none of them got the job done until Yaxel Rios, once the game was was basically over at that point. It was 8-6 when he entered. I mean, Ramos gives up what, two runs in the in the sixth? Uh, Austin Davis can't get anybody out when he comes in. I think he recorded the, the final out, but he gave up two hits and an earned run. Uh, Tommy Hunter danced out of trouble in the seventh, Mr. FIP. I know that everybody's real excited about his FIP and how it's not in line with his ERA and blah, 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 blah. But he wasn't particularly clean in the seventh. And then Victor Arano comes out with, what, a, a leadoff walk? And that comes back to haunt them because Sir Anthony Dominguez has a blow-up eighth inning. It's everybody right now. I mean, every single guy running through those bullpen doors has given this team, you know, it's, it's a question mark every time. There's nobody that you can feel totally good about. And I know that we love Sir Anthony Dominguez, but like we said, you look at his numbers lately and, and he's no sure bet either. No, which, and again, now, you know, we got to bring it up because everybody, you know, it was a big conversation on Twitter. And the, there's the old school people who questioned intentionally walking Juan Soto to get to Daniel Murphy. And uh, the new school people said it was the right call. So I'm going to ask you, Bob, what would you have done in that instance, second and third? Do you pitch to Soto or do you put him on and pitch to Daniel Murphy? Because I, I think we might actually have a different opinion on this I one. I think we might. Um I know a lot of people say, like, Daniel Murphy's the veteran. He's been in that situation before. I still look at a guy that's been absolutely abysmal since coming off an injury. Um, 
I, I know that he's killed the Phillies in the past, professional hitter, all those cliches, and that's all fine and well. But, I mean, he's a guy that really struggled to catch up the fastballs since coming back from the disabled list for almost two weeks. I know that he hit a slider. He hit a slider, actually. It was a decent pitch. He kind of just golfed it off the ground and, and flipped it over Hernandez. I don't know that that was the wrong decision. I, like, I can't crucify the manager for making that decision. It was There's logic behind it. It made sense. Like You can make that argument to me, and I go, I see where you're coming from. Obviously, the result was undesirable. It's not what they wanted, but I, I'm not going to kill Gabe Kapler because Sir Anthony Dominguez couldn't get out a guy that was five for his last, I, I think, 37 or five for his last 40 entering that at bat. It's, it's, it's tough, man. And, and the other thing is that I hear, and, and I don't know what side you're going to pick on this, so I don't know what you're about to say, but I know that everyone goes, well, Soto's 19 years old. Who cares? I don't care if the kid's 14 years old. He's mashing right now. So to me, the age and the experience factor is irrelevant. And he killed the Phillies in that series. And I just don't, I don't care that he was 19 years old. So I, I think that your argument is very valid. And it's not it, – I'm not going to sit here and – I don't think this is one where you crucify the manager because I think there is a there is a f- almost close to 50-50 kind of argument here. But I will take the other side, and not because of the matchup, Soto versus Murphy. I think that, I think that this is a negative effect for Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think this is you, – you put the pitcher in a bad spot – Never mind who he's facing. I don't care who the two batters are, to be honest with you, in this instance. I think what ends up happening is is you're taking a young pitcher and you're putting him up against a batter with no wiggle room. Against Soto, you could pitch around him. You could try and get, you know, Soto to swing at a bad pitch, you know, to, to maybe, you know, swing at a pitch that's a high fastball and he pops it up or, or you know, you know a, that slider that no one has gotten a hit off of until Daniel Murphy and maybe he hits a weak ground ball. Um, so, but, but if he's, you know, outside of the zone and he ends up walking him, okay, now you have another batter. But I think by putting uh, Soto on, you've basically just told Dominguez, you now have to throw strikes. And hopefully this guy won't won't beat you uh, with and, and it's not that Dominguez like you said he didn't throw a bad pitch that slider was actually a pretty good slider that Murphy just kind of you know punched into the outfield um, but he has to keep everything right near the plate at this point and and can't get you know can't be more fine let's put it that way and I think that so I think that the decision isn't necessarily about which batter you want to face. And I think that's what everybody kind of got caught up in in the discussion about this. But really the situation that you put your pitcher in. And I think that that was, that was where I would have you know, given, given Sir Anthony a little bit more rope to play with. Yeah, and I believe instance. that after the game, Dominguez said that he wanted Soto, that he, he was confident that he could get him out. And there is something, and somebody made the point today. I saw somebody comment on a story on Twitter, and I thought it was an interesting point. They said, like, you have this young guy who, who obviously is filthy and he's had a lot of success here in the early part of his career. Do you want to show that confidence? Like, hey, you know, Sir Anthony, you want, you want Soto in this situation? Go get him. You know, like, I got your back. And a young player like that, does he feed off of that, that encouragement and that support and the confidence of the manager and goes out and says, yeah, I got this. You know, like, there is a mental aspect to this, too, when you remove the situation and the numbers and the other contextual factors of it. If the manager just says, you want him? Go get him. I, the, there is something to be said for that. 
However, it does come down to execution at some point. I do, I do feel like that what we've seen so far this season, it's, it's, in baseball, it's so easy to criticize the manager for decisions. At some point in time, though, there has to be execution on the part of these players. And, and like we've said and like we've established, nobody, not a single guy in this bullpen right now, is coming out and really, truly, honestly doing their job. And it is an extremely difficult proposition for a manager to be in when he gets into tie games, one run, two run games, Sunday night, four run games, and he can't trust really anybody with complete confidence. You look at, you look at Aaron Boone, right? Well, how would you like to be Aaron Boone? Oh, uh, David Robertson. You can come on out for the uh, sixth and seventh. Uh, Dylan uh, Batanzas, we're going to go to you for the eighth, or the, you know, to close out the seventh and the eighth, and then we'll turn it over to Rawls Chapman. I mean, you can make a manager look pretty smart when you got those three guys running through the door every night. Sure. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, you're you're 100 right. Um, but that's why that's why when you asked me the question initially, I gave you two separate answers, and I said to you, it's next to impossible for Kapler to have to you know figure this bullpen out on a day-to-day basis. Um, but there, I do look at specific instances where he can maybe try and help them. And I, and I think that there are a couple of times when he has not helped them. Um, but, yeah, like tonight, I mean, there's no, there's no blaming Kapler in any stretch of the imagination for the way the bullpen was used tonight. I mean, Velasquez had to come out when he came out. Um, and, you know, it was Adam Morgan's turn to blow it up tonight. <laughs> and that, yeah, was, and, and that was just it. Tonight you know? just was, it's, it's not the traditional blame it on the bullpen kind of night. You know, you're going to look more at the offense. But, I mean, again, the, the bullpen failed them tonight. If, if they keep this a, a 2-1 game going into the 8th, ninth inning, you just you don't know. It, it's a totally different game. You put more pressure on the, uh, the opposition. They might play things different, differently strategically. It, it, again, the bullpen just – very rarely do they get the job done, and uh, that would lead me into something that I kind of wrote about a little bit today on the site, which is that Matt Klintak expressed that he's still evaluating what this team is, and if they could hold their own through this brutal stretch that they've been on over the last 25-plus games, that at some point that they may go out and make a move to help solidify the, the different weaknesses, whether that be third base, whether that be the, uh, the, the bullpen, obviously, very clearly, or maybe make an addition to the starting rotation. My, my position is that I think we can all agree that this team needs bullpen help. I don't think that there's any observer of this team that could say, I think we'll roll with what they have and they'll be all right. They won't be because it's an utter disaster. My thing is, you can't wait now until July 31st to go make a move. Like, I don't want to hear that we're still learning about what our team is or that we're still collecting information. I'm not telling you to go out and trade a top 10 prospect to land an elite level relief pitcher. But you can't simply say, well, we got Pat Neshek coming back and that'll be enough. And to me, it would be idiotic to let this thing play out another three or four weeks. This starting pitching has proven now for almost three months that they are playoff caliber, that they can get you into the postseason. This offense, yeah, it still has a lot of questions, but I think that there's enough there that if you solidify this bullpen, you can make a legitimate run at securing a postseason berth for the first time since the 2011 season. I don't want to watch this team needlessly piss away winnable games like the one that they lost on Sunday night and the one that they lost to St. Louis earlier in the week and the 12 that they've lost prior to that 
because this bullpen can't do its job. To me, it's not just, yeah, you've got to make a move. To me, you have to do it now. You have to go out and be proactive. You have to be aggressive, assertive, and do this. And to this point, that's my thing with Matt Klintak. Like, you inherited Ruben Morrow's team, essentially. You've made a couple decent signings. I credit you on Carlos Santana. I know that I had been previously skeptical of it. The guy's legit. He's been a big boost for this team. And the Arietta signing, I think, has been a positive for the most part. Go out and do something now. And that's where I'm at with him. Yeah, and I, and I don't disagree with you. I, I think that something needs to be done now. And I, I will even say this. He can, he can if he really wants to, wait till the deadline for the big acquisition. But you can get some help that's not going to cost you much of anything at all right now. Because there are teams that are completely out of it who have some veteran players who you can kind of bring in. I mean, look, the Phillies have a lot of uh, a lot of available money, okay? So maybe a guy, I'll just throw a name at you. Here's a veteran reliever who's out there who's been really good this year, who's got a sizable contract and is actually signed for another year. So maybe that's the reason why, you know, you're not looking at it just just this way yet because you only want to get a rental. But does Darren O'Day interest you at all? Would he help this bullpen in some capacity? And you can probably get him cheap from the Orioles at this point. I mean, because everybody's looking at at Britain and Brad Brack there, right? So maybe O'Day is an option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go Hawks. So so maybe there's a guy you can probably, because I'm sure Baltimore would love for you to take that money off their books. And would take a lower tier prospect for for that, and now all of a sudden you get a guy who's pitching really well this year, has a history of pitching well out of the bullpen, who can maybe stabilize that seventh eighth inning kind of thing for you, and kind of help that bullpen. Then you have Nishek coming back. Okay, maybe he helps too. And now as you approach, you know, the end of July, if Sir Anthony Dominguez hasn't righted himself back to the way he was before, or at least somewhat back to the way he was before, then, you know, if you feel you need to go get the closer July 31st and you have to spend a little bit more there, then you can go do that. Is that a, is that a viable option? It's a, it's a great name. I actually love it. 35 years old, right? Um, 0.9 whip this season uh, in, what, 20 innings pitched? And he's striking out uh, 12.2 batters per nine innings. Uh, the, the ERA is 2.70, the FIP 3.26, so it's not like a, a product of luck. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, and, and certainly the Orioles will be sellers uh, for uh, very obvious reasons, uh, none other than that they're, they're terrible. They're a horrible baseball team. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that would make a lot of sense. One of the guys that, uh, that Russ brought up today, and I kind of, like, I shuddered when he, he said it. I, I jumped on a crossing broadcast with him earlier this morning. He says, you know, let's look at the Texas Rangers. And I said, yeah. And he, and he started talking about Cole Hamels. And if you want to have a Cole Hamels conversation real quick, we could do that. But one of the names that he threw out in terms of relief pitchers is uh, our, our old friend Jake Diekman. And I went, ugh. Jesus, like Jake Diekman, seriously, you know. But you look at what he's done this season, and and he's had a pretty good year as well. Uh, he has not been as good as O'Day. The whip is actually a little bit of a concern, 139. He's pitched out of some trouble. His ERA sub-3. Strikeouts are still there. They've always been there for him. Um, just 
just to have a, a, a nasty left-hander that, that has had some success at the major league level, though, this year, uh, might not be the worst thing in the world. You know, a 31-year-old, I, he's a free agent in 2019. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to be overly expensive. That might be an option as well. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I gave you one name just out of the yeah, blue. I mean, it, but that's what I'm saying. Like there are guys like yeah, that. There are plenty of can, guys like that. It's not just Brad Hand out get. in San Diego. You know, that's going to take a top five prospect to get right. back who's signed to a multi-year deal. Right. But these are guys you can get right now. Absolutely. Right now, and it isn't going to cost you anything. And that's so that to me is where Clentac should be proactive. And the fact that he's not is a concern. It's a real concern to me. I mean, I, I, I think he's letting it go too long, and he's, he's missing an opportunity for his team to, to win a couple games because he's not addressing the bullpen when it needs to be addressed. So uh, let's, let's just talk about it. I mean, here we are, and we said if they get through this, this rough stretch that uh, we should consider what, what they may do at the trade deadline. And you look up, and we're a few, day, a few days away from the, the month of July, and it's upon us. I mean, we're in basically go time here. Uh, one of the other issues that the Phillies have had is at the third base position. Uh, Mike Alfranco, I know, had a 4-4 four four uh, four 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 game the other day, uh, and that's all fine and well, but I'm, I've been – fooled by him many times before, and so I'm not going to read too much into that. I know he also took uh, Chapman deep tonight as well, and we talked about that earlier in the show. Um, what, what do you think about the third base position? I mean, obviously they've been linked to Adrian Beltre. We've talked a little bit about Mike Moustakis in the past. Do you think that uh, it makes sense for them to go out and get a short-term option? I think that we both agree that it doesn't make sense to mortgage uh, significant pieces of the future to secure Manny Machado for a two-month rental when you know that he's going to at least explore the free agency market come this winter. Yeah, no, I, and I'm, I would be okay with either one of those guys. Um, I kind of like Beltre a little bit better than Moustakis, um, only for the fact that here's a, a surefire Hall of Famer that you would bring into the uh, into the clubhouse that would really benefit a lot of the younger players to, to be around him, even if it's only for two months, two and a half months. Um, not that Moustakis you know, wouldn't have some cachet himself. I mean, the guy's won a World Series. He's a pretty good player, but he's not a Hall of Fame third baseman like Adrian Beltre. And I, so I think Beltre would be a nice addition. Um, so, yeah, they need to, I, I think they need to add somebody to the lineup as well. I, you know, when right now we're talking about the lineup is decent. It's, it's uh, five players deep. Well, it needs to be six. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I mean, and here's the other thing with the lineup. Tonight they struck out 15 times. That's the sixth sixth time this year they've struck out 15 times. Um, the previous record for a season was four, and they have 86 games left this yeah, year. That's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, and I, yeah, I know we've talked that that's it's a lot. It's, it's a Phillies problem, but it's also a baseball problem. I, yeah. I think when it comes down to Beltre and Mustakis, it's just what do you value more? And Mustakis obviously has more pop. Uh, 14 home runs this season. The Beltre is four, but. Uh, Moustakis is only getting on base. Uh, his on-base percentage is uh, 312, and Beltre's is uh, 367. And I think that he right. kind of – I think Beltre actually fits the Phillies' needs offensively more than Moustakis does at this point. And I like the fact I that agree. he's been around I, the block. And, and I just it, – it does feel like a good fit for this team. Yeah, and he doesn't strike out as much. That's just, yeah, I'm trying to cut down on the strikeouts too. Um, I think it's a good fit. Um, and I don't think it's going to cost you a lot. I really don't. And before we before we move on, there, there's one more thing I want to talk about in terms of the trademark. And we've talked about how good this starting rotation's been. So let me ask you this. 
Do you think that the Phillies need to go out and acquire another starting pitcher, um, and, and namely a left-handed starting pitcher, uh, because they do not have one? And, uh, you know, also maybe somebody that has playoff experience. Does that matter? And so we, Russ and I had talked about Cole Hamels, as I said a few minutes ago. Even if it's not Cole Hamels, do you think that they, they should explore something of, of similar quality or a, a similar type of profile? I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, you know, you get towards the end of the season and you want to manage innings. It's a, that's a, another baseball thing today that I hate, but um, you know, it, it's going to happen. You, you want to keep your guys as fresh as possible. So a lot of teams, you know, you see they trot out that. Not to say they're going to go to a six-man rotation, but they like to have a sixth guy that they could start if need be. Um, and the fact that they don't have a lefty um, is another is another issue. So I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him in. The question is, does somebody go out of the rotation? Is somebody that's in the rotation part of the deal? Um, you know, yeah, how does it all? How do the puzzle pieces fit together? I think it's a good problem to have. Um, maybe somebody becomes a long man. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't not look at the possibility of adding a veteran lefty just because you have five guys that are going pretty well. Um, I, I think I'd rather it be a good problem to have than a bad problem to have. So, yeah, I, w- I would certainly consider it. Um, and, again, depends on, on what the cost is. But I would, you know, Cole Hamels has pitched pretty well um, this year. And his numbers last year weren't as bad as, as a lot of people think they were. Um, so he's still doing a, a pretty solid job. And I think he would be a nice addition uh, to the rotation, and not just because it's Cole Hamels, um, but because you know, if you, it could be player X, if they're putting up the kind of numbers that he's putting up, I'm saying, yeah, that's that's an that's an improvement to the rotation. Yeah, he uh, he struggled a little bit tonight. Five innings pitched, uh, he gave four earned, uh, nine hits. Uh, you know, he's been really good though. Actually, the, the two starts prior to tonight, he, he had 13 innings pitched, one earned run. Uh, 13 strikeouts in those two starts. So he's he's been pretty good. Jay Happ is another name that I know has been floated out there. Yeah. My only, I guess my only concern is stating the obvious, what do you have to give up to get these guys? But also when you look at they have needs in the bullpen. So you're going to have to trade some pieces to, to add to the bullpen. And then you want a third baseman. And you probably do need a short-term answer at third base if, if you're serious about making the playoffs this season. So you're going to have to trade a little bit there. And then, so what do you have left over for maybe something that's not necessarily a, a dire need? And so do they have the ability, do they have the creativity to kind of maneuver all three of those deals? Because certainly they're going to have to make the bullpen deal. I would expect them to make a deal at third base, especially when you consider the fact that most of the contending teams this season are set at third base. I mean, that third base market is is right there for the Phillies. I mean, they should be an aggressive buyer. They should be able to do what they want. They shouldn't have a ton of competition to add at third base. So then when I look at those two factors – What's left at this, you know, for the starting rotation? So I think I don't think you, you know, when we, we talk about this. So let's let's look at it. So let's say we got to add a relief pitcher, um, like like we were talking about earlier, like the O'Day type or the Deekman type, um, and you want to add a third baseman who's a rental like Beltre, and then you say, okay, we, we want to get maybe we go after Hamels. And maybe we go after uh, a closer like Brad Hand or something at the deadline. So you're now talking about adding four pieces. Well, geez, how the heck do you add four pieces and not deplete your um, your system? 
Um, I think the only one of these guys that we're really talking about that you have to give up a good prospect for is the closer. Um, I think everybody else, you can probably get away with second-tier prospects and or current players on your roster. So the one thing that we're not thinking about is, you know, when you're adding Adrian Beltre, not to say it's going to be part of the same deal, it could be, but you gotta, you're got you going to move Mike Alfranco. And there are teams, I mean, there was a report out there that the Padres are interested in Mike Alfranco. Um, so maybe there are other teams who have an interest in taking a chance on the guy because he's still relatively young. Um, you know, he's hitting two, whatever, he's hitting 260. He's driven in a lot of runs. He's got a little bit of pop. You know, maybe they're willing to take a chance on him and, and see see if they can't uh, get a little bit more out of him. Um, so, you, you know, Franco becomes a guy that can be moved. Um, and maybe there's a guy in the rotation that you think you sit there and say, maybe from internally they look at it and say, well, geez, this is, this, we're getting the best we can possibly get out of Zach Eflin, for right. example. Um, you know, maybe he's now uh, attractive to another team. And so maybe Eflin can be thrown into a deal. So I think that you, you have ways of doing this because if you're going to add four players to the roster, four players need to come off of it. So maybe some of those players can also be part of trades. So that that way you're only really giving up one, at most maybe two of your prospects. You know, do, do, does do you move a guy like Mickey Moniak right now? You know, do yeah, you move I don't, a Ranger Suarez? I, I, I really do really Ranger Suarez. I mean, I don't know. Like, like I don't want to mess with like the that. the Adonis Medinas and Adam Hazleys and even the Moniacs and, and obviously Sixto Sanchez in a totally different class. But like Jalen Ortiz, Romero, these are guys that I'm not really eager to move. Now, if it comes down to it, and you're like, well, we got to get rid of uh, Mackenzie Mills and uh, you know Cole Irvin. These guys that are third, fourth tier prospects to to get these deals done. Then then fine, I, I think I can live with that. But when you when it comes to top ten prospects, you see, and I don't want to overvalue what they have because. You, Half the names I just rattled off I don't think will ever really make a a significant impact at the major league level for this organization, but you you see how bad this this system was for so many years, and I feel like they've done all this work to kind of make it one of the better minor league systems in baseball, and I don't want to just trade them off for for two months of Adrian Beltre. And and so it really just comes down to what the package is and what what teams want in return, and, and I guess that's stating the obvious, but I, I just wouldn't go crazy trading top 10 prospects for, for guys like that. No, I, and I, I, I agree with you, and, you know, I, I'm not talking about Sanchez or Medina. You know, I probably wouldn't even go Hazley. I think Hazley's been okay, and Ortiz is still really young. I mean, but would you, you know, would you move a – I mean, we, I mentioned Moniak. You said no. Okay, fine. Would you move – Franklin Colomb or Archimedes Gamboa. Like, would you move one of those sure, guys? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there's there's still top ten yeah. guys. You know, Ranger Suarez, I mentioned. Um, you know, uh, you know, how about a guy like Eshelman who looked like, really good? Uh, by you the know? way, I like Ranger Suarez. I actually think Ranger Suarez is a real chance. But uh, well, I'm just saying. But I mean, yeah, these we're, are guys. We're, yeah, no, I, mean, I don't want to turn this into the you know the minor league hour. But yes, yeah, I, I know but what I you're mean, saying. I mean, so like, <clears throat> I think it's I think that you have enough of those guys that are in that tier that is below Sanchez, Medina, Hazley, that you can, you know, afford to give up one or two of those and not not kill your system to make a push for this year. And I'm not saying that they're being traded for Beltre. I don't think – I honestly don't think Beltre gives – you have to give up a lot to get Beltre. I think that the guy – again, like I said, I think the guy that you – you know, whoever the closer is that you got to get – 
and you know if it's Brad Hand, for example. I think that's a deal where you got to give them a you know a couple of pieces, and one of them probably has to be a decent prospect. So that's the one that's probably going to cost you a prospect. I'm not certain that any of the other three guys that you know we're talking about really command a big name prospect. I mean, maybe Hamels a little bit, but not a not a lot. Yeah, 34 year old um, at that salary. I, I don't know. I wouldn't get crazy. You know, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like I like I don't think it, you know I don't think you know. Do you get upset if you trade JoJo Romero for for Cole Hamels? I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's probably there's probably some people that would say no, no way, you you cannot do that. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not as attached to the, some of these guys individually as as others I are. Mean, but I mean, jo- JoJo Romero is like one of their. I guess he's their best left-handed pitching prospect. Yeah, he, right? he hasn't been great this year, but he's he's got four and a half ERA. I mean, his whip's what one point three. I mean, it's okay, and, and this is a double A. I mean, whatever. It's it's okay, but I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, oh my god, no, he's untouchable. Yeah, I just look at a 21 year old playing in double A, and I go, well, he's a lefty. He's got good stuff. They think highly of him for a reason. You know, the national scouts like the guy. Yeah, do I really want to trade him? But you know, for a guy like Cole Hamels, it's a little bit of a different story. I mean, you're talking about a, a real difference maker there in theory, and it, it, he, if you're going to make trades like that, it has to be a little bit painful, you know. Otherwise, yeah, the other exactly. team's making a trade for you know they're making that trade for a reason, right? So yeah, exactly. Um, um we have a we have a yeah, I, I had a, a couple quick things from tonight that you know we haven't touched on that I mentioned earlier that we got to kind of. <clears throat> dive into not real deeply but we do have to dive into them um from tonight because uh, a lot of people are talking about what happened with reese hoskins and the fan uh tonight apparently um reese had a little bit of a uh back and forth with the fan after reese strikes out uh on a wild pitch doesn't run it out to first base probably would have been safe if he ran right away um but it would have been close but probably would have been safe um, doesn't run, gets thrown out. This was in that sixth inning when the Phillies had an opportunity to to um, get back into the game down two nothing. Um, and as he's walking off, he's frustrated. Some fan is giving him a hard time. Reports are on social media that it was a Yankees fan, but there was no actually official uh, reporting of that. Uh, Hoskins didn't confirm it um, in the interviews that that he did with the media. Um, but he goes into the he's he's saying something to the fan on his way into the dugout goes and puts his helmet down, his bat down, and comes back onto the steps and says something again to the fan that looked like he was saying, why don't you go and try and do it? You know what I'm saying? So um, after the game, uh, Hoskins says that he was in the wrong. He never should have said anything to the fan. Um, kind of gave the old mea culpa. So to me, that's it's not a big deal, but a lot of people are talking about it. I guess that's my initial reaction uh, was – what if that was a Dubal Herrera that did that? How do you, yeah, how do you think I, I, that would have gone? Well, it's just Reese. Oh. Reese is just frustrated. If that was Herrera, yeah. it would have been like, you see, this guy's a loser. He's selfish. I, I, and I know that that's an oversimplification. I understand that people are going to say, yeah, that's, that's an easy take to have. But I do think that there's absolutely something to be said for that. I really, truly do. Um, I actually think it was kind of ridiculous on Reese Hoskins' part. Um, and, yep. and a guy that I, I – like and I know he's a prominent guy and I know he has his own podcast too and and he's is a big part of Philly's Twitter John Stolness um, and he's contributed to a couple of articles that I've written on the site over time and and I don't know him personally he's he's always been very cordial with me when I've I've spoken with him but tonight he 
you kind of fired off this this idea that uh, the Phillies had gotten in late last night, and uh, that when you consider the travel, that um, you know Hoskins was probably tired, and I, I just kind of feel like it's it's ridiculous. He had tweeted out. I'm not losing it over Reese, by the way. He's an emotional player. Doesn't seem like he did anything disrespectful. I'm guessing they're also pretty tired from a really late night and don't have much of a fuse. Like, okay. So let me start by saying I have no idea what the fans said to Reese Hoskins. I mean, maybe it was something completely outrageous that no human being could possibly tolerate and swallow. I, I doubt it was that bad, but I don't know. But don't, don't try to defend Reese Hoskins by saying, well— he, he probably didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Just, you know, pull the regular average human being. I mean, let me just tell you something, Anthony. Uh, it's 1221 as I'm saying these words right now. When we get done this podcast, I'm going to have to edit this thing, and I'm going to have to send it over to Russ, and he's going to put it together, and I'll probably go to sleep around 2 o'clock. And then I'm going to wake up at 6 o'clock, and I'm going to go to my full-time job. And so I'm only going to be on about four hours of sleep, which was what I would imagine Reese Hoskins had last night. I can't go to my workplace tomorrow and act like a total jackass and say, my bad, uh, I should have known better, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's just a completely ridiculous excuse. And to me, that's, that's kind of indicative. It's nothing really against John or what he has to say about Hoskins in particular, but, like, we're going to excuse away that. But then I watch, like, Oduhubul Herrera not run out of pop-up a couple months ago and everyone wants to lose their mind. So, like, I don't know. It, it, can I, I think throw it's something an interesting in dynamic. Can I, can I throw something in here Absolutely. about the about the late night? Okay, as someone who used to travel with a team, okay? Because remember, I worked for the Flyers. I traveled with them. And they have <clears> – so teams charter through Amtrak, especially when it's in D.C. and uh, New York. They charter through Amtrak, basically a bullet train. Um, it, it's, not, it's not flying at, you know, 600 miles an hour like, you know, the, the bullet trains go. But it, it's moving faster than most trains do. It's a nonstop train. So it's going from D.C. to Philly, and it doesn't have to stop. So this train ride is about an hour and 20, 25 minutes. So that game ends, what, it was like 12.30 last night. By the time they're on the trains, within an hour, <clears throat> they're home by, you know, I don't know, what, 2.30, quarter to 3? Is Reese Hoskins waking up at 7 to go to the ballpark? I don't think so. They're not required to be at the ballpark until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a day like that. So what's to say he only got four hours of sleep? Maybe he got six. Maybe he got seven. That's a, that's a faulty, faulty logic right there. Um, it, it's not like he has to get up and go to work the same time as every other nine to fiver. You know, he doesn't need to be in his office until later. Now, maybe he is. Maybe he's the kind of guy who wants to be the first one there, and you know, he's looking at video at nine o'clock in the morning, getting ready for the Yankees. Maybe so. Um, but if if that's what he's doing, that's his choice. I mean, he could have, if he wanted to, probably slept six or seven hours if he really wanted to. I and and a lot, I'm sure a lot of those guys got enough sleep last night. It's not like they were coming in, uh, or like you pointed out, the Nationals had to fly to Tampa. That's a big difference. you got to get on a plane and fly and then wait for you know everything to unload and get on a, tr- on a bus and go to your hotel. It's a big di- check-in. It's a big difference than taking the, uh, the, uh, you know, the express train home, getting in your car, and driving right to your bed. It's a big difference. So that, I, I, I don't buy that as an angle by any stretch of the imagination. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't want to say that, that Reese Hoskins is a bad guy. I mean, you know, just because he turns around and he gets frustrated in the moment and he says something to a fan, it doesn't mean he's a, a bad person or anything like that. And I'm not going to try to bury the guy here either, but it was a, it was a bad look. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's yeah, any excuse for it. And really the cardinal sin was the fact that in a crucial situation, I mean, we're not talking about a, a two-out infield pop-up that's going to be caught 99% of the time. I mean, we're talking about a, a drop third strike in the dirt that – carried a considerable distance away from the catcher that had he been heads up and busted his ass out of the box, he might have beat that throw, and it might have totally changed that inning and the way things played out, and thus the way things played out in that game. And so, I mean, it was a critical point in that game. It was a big strikeout, and for him to just stand there, not run, then trot over to the dugout, catch an earful from a Yankees fan, Phillies fan, whatever, go into the dugout, pop back up, and then start barking, I thought was a bad look. And then you combine that with the fact that in the fourth inning, he took a called third strike on the outside corner on an 83-and-a-half-mile-an-hour slider. That was, by the way, a strike. Joe West bangs him out, and what does he do? He turns around and he starts barking at the umpire, which is not the first time he's done that. I've noticed this lately, and that has become a little bit of a pattern for Hoskins. It's like, yo, man, that was a strike. Swing the bat, shut up, and get in the dugout. And and that's kind of where I'm coming from on Hoskins. Like, he's a good player. I like this guy. I think he's a centerpiece of what this team's going to be for the next five, ten years. And I feel a little bit bad, but this isn't the first and only time that he's demonstrated this type of behavior. It's like, do your job. If you don't do your job, that's okay. It happens. It's baseball. But keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I, um, I'm not as upset about the whole thing with Joe West. I like. I know it was a strike. You're 100% right. I saw, you know, you saw the the, the pitch cast and saw where it landed. But I, I don't have a problem with a player you know, kind of working the umpires so that in the future, that same pitch, maybe they call it a ball against you. Um, uh, you know, if you, so I don't really have an issue with that. Um, if it was chronic, maybe, and I know you say you notice it and I do too. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's like every time he strikes out, he's, he's bitching at the umpire. Um, I think that there are, that, 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 that that's an angle that you can be playing to try and make, your future at bats better, and, and maybe get you know calls that go your way as opposed to the way of the pitcher. So that one doesn't bother me. But you're absolutely right about the the play. He could have been safe at first base. Could have changed the whole complexion of the inning. They would have had bases loaded with one out there with Santana coming or with Herrera coming up um, instead of uh, second and third and two outs. So Herrera has a different approach to the plate in the way. Um, I guess Robertson would be pitching at that point um, would be different. So uh, there would be a lot of things that were changed. And then to argue with a fan when not only did you strike out and not only did you not run, so now you look bad twice. And, and you and say now go hit or go ahead or whatever yeah. he said. I and mean, now you're barking with a fan. Hit, yeah, I mean that's, that's three strikes to me. That's a, that is a bad look. But I will, give him a, I will give him a pass because he recognized it. He apologized for it afterwards. He basically said, "Look, that's on me. I never should have done that. You know, caught up in the moment kind of thing." And let you know, hopefully, he learns from yeah, it. So I, I get caught being caught up in the moment. I mean, I watched him do it, and I was angry. Yeah. And I'm I'm sitting on a couch. You know, I'm not playing in front of forty five thousand people. Probably for one of the maybe the first time ever. I mean, when was the last time that this team played in front of a? a capacity crowd outside of maybe like an opening day or something like that so a little yeah. bit of a different buzz tonight uh, stakes are a little bit higher the, well, the attention is a little bit greater so and that's the one other thing that I wanted to mention from tonight's game <clears throat> before we get get to the end of the podcast is um, 
everybody made a big deal about the fact <clears throat> that 60% of the crowd was New York fans tonight. As a matter of fact, and this is, this is me going to take a shot at my media brethren, after the game, why are we asking the manager why, what he thought about the crowd being what great, it was? Pe- great crowd, a lot of juice. We fed off their energy. I mean, it, it, really it, it's, good. Irrele- really good it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Who cares if the Yankees fans come down from New York? We always say, oh, look at all the Philadelphia fans there. Oh, our Philadelphia fans are traveling well. That's great. Well, guess what? Philadelphia fans aren't the only good fans. Uh, you know, New York fans travel well, too. Boston fans travel well, too. Chicago fans travel well, too. So, you know, we got to accept it sometimes. Um, I, I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think it's, a, it's ever a big deal. Um, I don't think the players care so much. I don't think the manager cares. The fact that we're making this a narrative uh, off of this game is very disappointing to me, and, and I think it's it should it's going to be written about. It's going to you see every story tomorrow is going to talk about this, and it's it's burying the lead. Yeah, let's talk about because... the bullpen again. Let's talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean seriously, let's let's talk about this bullpen again. Let's talk about the fact that you know you your hitters didn't bear down in key situations. Uh, what were you thinking when you did this? Or let's talk about strategical things. Let's not ask three questions about, well, what did you think about the crowd tonight? Did you hear the Yankees fans? I mean, what do you want the guy to say? Like, I know that you're trying to write a story, and that's an easy one to write. But, like, what do you want in that situation? At the same time, let's talk about what happened down there tonight. You had a team that entered tonight winning four straight series, 41-34, and 34, playing a critical game off the heels of playing their first nationally televised game since 2013. This is a big-time series for a very young team. Like, where, where are the Phillies fans? I mean, the 12th worst attendance in all of baseball, averaging less than 25 grand a night. I don't really care about the weather anymore. I know they haven't been good the last few years. I know that we've talked about this attendance and, and all the reasons why people are a little bit reluctant or maybe hesitant to come out to the ballpark and prices and it's down around baseball and all that other stuff. But, like, show up. And, and I'm sorry. Like, you remember when Jimmy Rollins said in 2008 that the fans are front runners and everyone lost their minds? Like, do you remember that? It was a yeah. huge deal. Yeah. I, I mean, 22-year-old me when he said that was like, how dare you? Like, I watched Tony Longmire and Wendell McGee Jr. and Toby <laughs> Borland. Like, I grew up on that stuff. It's actually amazing that I love baseball when you consider that the, the my childhood, when I was in second grade, was the 93 Phillies. And then you take that away. So from third grade through high school, that was the 1994 Phillies through the 2003 Phillies. Like, that was my – that was what I grew up with. Like – so I say, like, how dare you when you call me a front runner? But now, like, 32-year-old me that can sit back and look at this a little bit more objectively, like, dude wasn't wrong. Like, show up. I, I actually yeah. – I think it's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, from a fan perspective, yeah, sure. Uh, but I don't think it has any real impact whatsoever on the product that's on the field. No, and, and I don't think that's the manager's question to answer. Uh, right. You know, with that said, I, I don't know what Gabe Kapler can – add in terms of insight to that issue so uh but yeah i mean uh, i don't know i I was a little bit agitated like i actually felt myself hating the yankees for the first time since 2009 which was nice it lets you know that (laughs) baseball's back that's good that's good hey uh bob one last thing i don't know if you saw this um but the uh you know the the all-star game um and all the festivities surrounding it uh, are going to take place at Nationals Park this year. 
And uh, so a lot of talk down there in Washington is the Home Run Derby, which a lot of people love. And, of course, is Bryce Harper going to participate in it because, you know, he would be the hometown hero. And you usually get one of those hometown guys who, uh, at at all these events, um, who shows up to, 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 you know, be in the Home Run Derby, whether or not they're an all-star. And uh, so the Washington Post reaches out to Harper via text message um, to ask him if he's going to participate in the Derby. And this is the text message that Harper sends the Washington Post. So count me in for the Derby if and only if I make the team. But if I do, I will be a participant in the 2018 Home Run Derby. Now this makes you wonder, is that a little bit, like, ridiculous? I mean, you know, a lot of players have participated in the Home Run Derby without being an all-star. Stanton did it when he was with the Marlins a couple years ago. Um, You know, and, and I think he even won the Home Run Derby in Florida, if I remember correctly. Um, but it, should the, should they, you know, should he, Harper even be an all-star? I mean, he's not having an all-star type year. And if he's not an all-star, shouldn't he, you know, feel a sense of responsibility as the star player for the team where the game's being played to at least make an appearance for that Monday? I mean, he's still going to get three days off after that. Well, uh, what is the criteria for an all-star in 2018? I mean, Bryce Harper's hitting 217, and uh, that's, that's 100 points less than what he hit a year ago, uh, more than 100 points. Um, he's hitting uh, – his, his on-base percentage has dropped by 60 points from a year ago. His slugging percentage has dropped by almost 120 points. His OPS has dropped by almost 170 points from the 2017 season. Uh, with that said, he's still a good player. Uh, he's still productive. OPS is 832. Uh, he's hit 19 home runs. He's going to, in a down year, he's going to hit 40 home runs. He's one of the most marketable players in all of Major League Baseball. Um, I, I, I guess to answer your question directly, is that an insane thing to, to text and to publicize? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, and I think it lacks – uh, self-awareness, and I think it lacks an understanding of, of where the game's at and that they, they kind of need him to participate in that event. It would really be helpful to the, the overall state of the game and, and that particular event. Um, with that said, I mean, Bryce Harper may feel that he's an all-star, but based on, on several metrics, he's, he's just he's not. I mean, he's not even close. And so it's, right. it's a ridiculous claim to make. And I almost wonder if that will raise the eyebrows of – of teams that may be courting him come this offseason. You remember a couple of weeks ago that, that anonymous report that had leaked that said that Bryce Harper isn't a winning player. Um, and I, I kind of think that that's a little bit unfair, number one, because it's anonymous. And number two, the, the Washington Nationals have had a lot of success, and Bryce Harper has been a really good player, and he's only 25 years old. And hmm. over the last seven years, he's, he's been a good baseball player. But th- that, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, <clears throat> my other concern with this is that I wonder if this is his uh, last second like pitch to try and get into the All Star game because oh, he probably has a bonus clause in his contract to kick in for a little bit extra money if he makes an All Star team, and he's probably looking at the voting and seeing that he's not, <coughs> excuse me, right at the top of the standings or the voting standings for outfielders. 
And maybe this is that little, hey, you know, I'll be a part of it, but you guys got to get me in. And so now maybe all the Washington Nationals fans are, you know, energized to go online and vote 25 times each to to get him into the All-Star game. So, yeah, so I wonder if it's a little self-serving. And on that note, um, on MLB.com yesterday, uh, they released the latest All-Star voting uh, update, and Bryce Harper is behind Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis is the leading vote-getter for National League outfielders right now uh, by a wide margin, almost by more than 330,000 over Matt Kemp. What, what year is it, Anthony? Uh, is it, is it, <laughs> what, are, what is going on? Uh, yeah, Bryce Harper's actually third, though. Uh, he has uh, 1.4 million votes, and he's comfortably ahead of Charlie Blackman. So if this thing wraps up right now, uh, and it continues. Bryce Harper is so going he would to be, get in. He, okay. Yes, he would get in. So um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Bryce Harper was particularly bad in June. So we'll, we'll see. He he was first. Uh, he he went from first to second, and now to third. So he is he's dropping in the vote, but uh, so, he's so still maybe in. that's what he's maybe that's what he's seeing, yeah. and that's why he's saying this. You know, that I mean, I don't know. I I look at it from a self interest point of view. Why else would you say that? Why else would you put that out there? that you're not doing it unless you make the team. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what benefit there is to say that in any capacity other than, other than your own self-interest. Yeah, it's not a great look. Uh, I don't think that it's ultimately going to deter a team from pursuing him or paying him whatever it is that he's ultimately going to settle upon. But uh, interesting comments, not great. Um, listen, listen before, we, before we wrap this thing up, and, and it was a spirited conversation tonight. I know that we're an hour 26 into this thing, but – I actually yeah. feel like we just kind of got going tonight. I have a little bit of juice in me right now. Uh, Odubel Herrera, is he, is he an all-star? I, I don't think he's going to get voted, but I, I think that he's going to get selected. Um, you, know where I, you know where I think he might end up? And we, we kind of touched on this a couple weeks back when we talked about Nola probably being the only Phillies all-star, and this was during uh, Odubel's slump. I, I said that if either he or Arietta get hot, uh, I could see one of them being, you know, added or being in that last vote in that fan vote that they do, where they give you like five names and say vote one of these guys into the uh, as the final player onto the team. Um, <clears throat> well, Arietta didn't get hot; he actually went the other way. But Herrera has has gotten hot again, so I can see Herrera being in that final five vote, or he gets picked by Major League Baseball as a reserve. Um, but I think he's certainly right there. I mean, you're hitting 302. You, 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 in, you had a 45-game on-base streak and a five-game home run streak in the same season, yeah. same half of a season, and you're hitting 302, and your OPS is really high, and you're you know, the key cog in the lineup for a, for a playoff team, current playoff team. Um, yeah, yeah, top I think 30 he, I player think and weighted on-base average, and uh, he's, third no, <clears throat> he's third in OPS behind a – only Trout and Benatendi in terms of center fielders. So yeah. there's a case oh, yeah, for him. I think he, yeah, there's definitely yeah, a case Yeah, I think he deserves him. to be there. He deserves to be there. All right. Well, you got anything else? No, I don't. Right. I don't. I don't um, can, that's it for us. We can wrap this thing up <laughs> I in know cool if you 90 wanted. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice 90-minute program. This is maybe our longest program yet. I think it is. Um, yes. But that's good. Uh, yeah. But uh, So we want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. Don't forget the rest of the uh, great uh, programs on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, um, including the Crossing Broadcast with Russ Joy and Kyle Scott, um, Snow the Goalie with me and Russ Joy, uh, which uh, I got another 
uh, I'm not going to announce it yet, but I think we're going to have another guest uh, coming up here. Um, yeah, made the uh, made the call today uh, to try and get that going, and I think it's going to happen. Um, not sure if it's going to be the next episode, but maybe two episodes away. Um, we'll see. Depends on when, <clears throat> what day we go over to uh, make it happen. Um, and then uh, I would definitely check into. Uh, uh, crossing Broad FC uh, for all the latest from the World Cup and Uruguay. Uh, European soccer. Beat Russia today, yeah. <laughs> three nothing. Did you watch? Uh, no. Did you watch no, Saudi Arabia beat Egypt? Yeah, no. dude. Listen, but I actually, he, you, I knew you were gonna do this promo, so I actually just brought up World Cup scores real quick. I haven't, I haven't been watching did, either. Did he? But I think I saw some. Does Egypt have a goalie who's like forty five? Uh, I thought I saw something. That's like entirely that. like possible. That their goalie is like forty-five years old, which makes me feel good because that's older than me. Um, so, uh, so yeah, go Egypt. Um, so yeah, but yeah, yes, check he out is that forty-five that years old. Yes, that is there, true. There you go. Um, they're on. They uh, they have that podcast, which I think is on 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 the weekends at some point. And um, then there's also uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, which I think they haven't had an episode lately because Kevin Kincaid was away, but he's now back. I think as of tomorrow, uh, he's back from his European vacation, and uh, he and Dave Zeitlin will catch you up on all the things happening with the Philadelphia Union. So be sure to check out all of our podcasts. Subscribe, rate us, review us. We love you for doing that. Um, and then uh, you know, we can always read some good reviews on air. We haven't done that on this episode, on this show, but maybe we'll do that next week. No, we actually have we'll, some uh, too. Uh, if yeah, we do. We have some really nice reviews. Some nice stuff. Yeah, so maybe we'll we'll put that into the agenda next week. We'll read some of our five star reviews. Um, anyway, uh, so that'll be it for us for this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, big week ahead for the Phillies. Rest of this Yankee series, and then four with the Nationals. I'm sure Bob and I will have a lot to say about it when we record again next Monday. Until then, thanks for listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. <laughs>